0: Welcome to Tamarindo, Tamarindo Podcast. Podcast. We are your hosts, Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Tamarindo Podcast is the Latinx show where we discuss politics, pop culture, and how to balance it all con calma. Tamarindo is part of Loose Collective, a digital home for Latinas. You can catch all of our new episodes at loosecollective.com. Welcome to the show. Woo-hoo.
1: episode we have a candid conversation on race and identity from our own point of view as latinas in the u.s but before that we start off acknowledging the difficulty of 2020 and what may come ahead welcome back tamarindo listeners to the latest episode um so i want to start us off by taking a deep breath I'm doing it too. let it out <laughs> y'all we just want to acknowledge that We're in November, and 2020 has been a crazy-ass year. Yes. Difficult, like, unexpected. You know, we've got... The pandemic we've got um some tough losses in in losing kobe uh, chadwick Bozeman, rbg that was
0: all this year that was all this year It's the longest year ever
1: and then on top of that you know having a presidential election and dealing with all the shenanigans of the trump administration and voter suppression and just like his nonsense porquerias like it's Non-stop. been rough And we also want to acknowledge that we may not know who the winner is of this election by the time this episode comes out. It's true. Yeah. So but we just want to like acknowledge all of the work that we have all been doing in terms of like staying as healthy as possible during 2020. You know, adjusting to everything that's been thrown at us and also the work that all of y'all have done to have an impact on this election.
0: Yeah, let's all take a collective moment to just... Thank ourselves. <laughs> thank you. and Thank everybody. Yes. This was rough.
1: This was rough. And be compassionate with yourself in terms of like what you did and didn't do. Porque ya pasó. You did what you could do. And, and the thing is, like, you know, regardless of whatever the outcome is, like our work is not done to create the world that that we want to live in. Verdad? And so we have to prepare for whatever may come. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's regardless of the outcome. We don't know what post-election, the post-election the world is going to look like. So we have to really prioritize self and community care. Like that's got to be so important for us because I think it's going to be, you know, regardless, it's going to even that day is going to be there's going to be a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of stress Mm -hmm. for that. And so we really need to make sure that we prioritize that. And so we just wanted to touch on a few things that we might be able to do which I want to be able to do. And we all need different things, ¿verdad? but one thing is no one to turn off. First thing is no one to turn off your TV, your social media. You know, don't keep reading the same type of articles over and over again, like pay attention to how you're feeling in your body and know when things are actually starting to really affect you physically. And I think we can all kind of get caught up in the the social spiral of doom or I think you had, you called it something else the other day, Brenda, but just like the doom scroll, exactly. Like know when to turn it off, know when to take a break, regardless of of what happens. verdad. Number two, think about like, prepare yourself for what this week is going to look like. Are there things that you can do to lighten your load a little bit? So like, can you take a day off? Can you have stronger boundaries? I think Brenda is like really great actually at sending boundaries and saying when she's going to do something and when, when she's uh-huh, not. I hope so. <laughs> so just know like, can you can you create some boundaries to protect your energy and maybe have less commitments for the week if you know that this is going to be a tough week for you? is to spend more time outdoors. Um, Brendan and I both love spending time outdoors and it's so important for my mental health. So if it's something that really helps you, like prioritize getting outside safely, yes. of course. Go,
0: go on a walk, please. I can't stress that enough because I, like, I go on hikes as much as I can, as much as possible. My friends say, I wish I could bottle a little bit of your energy. Let me tell you, energy begets energy. If you yes. get your ass out there, You're gonna want to be out there longer. It's hard, I know it, but really just make the time. If it's walking around the block, just get yourself out there. Yes,
1: yes. So one thing when I when I'm doing when I'm having a hard time doing something, I I try to think about how it's gonna feel after I do that activity. And that really helps me actually do it. And I think
0: you'll feel so grateful.
1: Yeah, and taking walks has been like transformational for me and it's something that I started really doing during covid I started doing morning and evening walks and sometimes I've been better than other times but every time I do it it's like I'm not even thinking about like oh getting that workout in it's more just like getting outside and going on a walk and it's so good for like my clarity my mood toda la cosa yeah I love it absolutely love it okay and last is like read or listen to things that bring you joy so whether it's podcasts or books like you know know that know when you need to stop listening to a political Podcasts. Know when you you know like well you know we can we can we can put some of our our happier uh, episodes in, in the in the show notes for y'all. But do things that will re- listen and read things that will bring you joy if if you're really having a hard time with the week.
0: Yeah, I have personal experience with that because even though we talk about politics often on this podcast, I actually have stopped listening to other political podcasts. Ones that
1: are like strictly political. Yeah.
0: All what I do and I'll recommend a few because they're magical. I love the Risk podcast, which is all storytelling. Very wonderful, very uplifting. I also love mortified. Also storytelling podcasts mm. about people reading their journal entries. Hilarious. Yes. So I find ways to disconnect. So we love podcasts and we love being. We're creating this political podcast. But if you need to take a break take a break
1: yes and we also know that obviously we've been spending more time on politics and and, and talking about the election because it's been so important but you know like we'll definitely kind of be mixing it in as as the we'll obviously always be talking about politics but we want to make sure it it is a balanced podcast so that we make sure that we take care of ourselves as well
0: we bring you so much here yeah so that we're starting off with this calma for everyone so
1: we just want to honor everybody for just getting through 2020 like like i feel like Latinos especially we're so resilient because we've had to like deal so many of us had to deal with so much shit just like in our lives and like we had to like use that resiliency this year so I just want to honor everybody for wherever you are like you know it's it's wherever you are is is perfect and it's okay and
0: we thank y'all yeah we thank you all so with that we're gonna take a really short break and then we will be back with the rest of the conversation We are so thrilled to be part of Luz Collective, which is a digital home for Latinas by Latinas. Luz Collective exists to tell true and accurate narratives of Latinas in the U.S. through great storytelling, articles and podcasts like ours.
1: As an independent media company founded by Latinas, articles published at loosecollective.com reflect our lived experience as women who live in the hyphen, like
0: Mexican-American or ni de aquí ni de allá. That's right. We want to invite you to visit loosecollective.com to read articles by us and for us. You can read Miriam Gurba's regular column. Her latest work masterly cuts at the argument of the quote-unquote accidental assault as she reacts to the recent incident where a New York Times staffer exposed himself during an infamous Zoom call. Ugh. We
1: love mediums cutting pros and unmatched wit. We also liked reading about how Latinas are fighting disinformation and a history of voter suppression in Florida.
0: The writers and editors at Loose Collective get paid for their work because Loose Collective refuses to be part of the media culture that devalues the intellectual labor of Latinas and BIPOC writers. Yes, pero we need your help. Please go to loosecollective.com and click on
1: support us to join the Loose Collective supporter network. We want to encourage you to give twelve fifty a month to join as an Alpha Latina supporter so Loose Collective can keep telling our stories.
0: Go to the link in our show notes or go to loosecollective.com and click support us to read about the levels of giving and perks. Once again, that's loosecollective.com and then click on support us. When you support loose collective, you're supporting us. So yes. do it now. Woo! Okay, so we're back from that break. And uh, right now, today's episode, we want to talk about race, which is always a difficult conversation and a difficult thing to navigate. But really what sparked this specific episode is that we both listened to a another podcast that we absolutely love. It's called NPR Code Switch. And they recently did an episode all around the term BIPOC. So we wanted to dive into that. We'll explain what that term is if it's new to you. But before we go into that, we do want to acknowledge that conversations on race are always messy. They're never crystal clear. There's always a lot of nuance. And, we, this is, has and always has been an opinion podcast. So Anishina and I, whatever we tell you here, this is our own conversation, our own candid conversation that we're inviting you to listen in on. We're not scientists. We're not experts, but we're going to reference, um, some important people that as we have this conversation, but. Just a note, this has always been an opinion podcast. (laughs) And so uh, a little bit more on on why conversations on race can be messy. Here is what Angela Onwachi-Willig, a professor of law at the University of Iowa, says. She says, quote, race is not biological. It is a social construct. There is no gene or cluster of genes common to all black or all whites were race real, quote unquote, in the genetic sense, racial classifications for individuals would remain constant across boundaries. Yet a person who could be categorized as black in the United States might be considered white in Brazil or colored in South Africa. So this is just an example to underscore how these things could be um, very, very messy and, and and gray. So why don't we start off by um, telling folks what does BIPOC mean?
1: Yes, it means black indigenous person of color and, exp- and it It expands on the widely used term POC, people of color. So and although it can be traced to uh, several years ago, it really started taking off, especially this summer in response to the continued disregard for black lives and also as a further reflection on the erasure of indigenous identities. On the NPR Code Switch podcast, a woman named Amber Starks, who identified as Afro-Indigenous states, we have to be honest that there is a hierarchy like who is more proximate to whiteness and who isn't. And that's part of what the term BIPOC aims to address. It centers certain communities that have been historically the most oppressed, yes. Black and Indigenous specifically. Exactly.
0: So for today's episode, you and I, Fernanda Sheila and Brenda, we're both Mexican immigrants to the U.S. That's the lens that we're providing mm-hmm. as Latinas, as Latinx. We want to take this discussion, this, this NPR po- Code Switch podcast that we keep referencing as a starting point, but really reflect our own point of view as it relates to Latinx in the U.S., so, um, kind of reflecting on that, what do you think about the term bipoc?
1: Yeah, well, I love the episode, and I thought it was you know great it was a great reflection for me, and I was thinking about it, and I really like it. I think I see it as an additional term that can be really powerful, especially in certain contexts, and I think it's powerful in its ability to address the limitations that I see in in the in the term person of color that has started to be used so broadly that in some cases it has, you know, not highlighted black people, indigenous people enough. And there is particularly in the Code Switch episode, I do want to reference one thing. There was an anecdote where there was a teacher of South Asian descent who was planning, you know, with, with some white colleagues uh, to teach a particular book. The book is called The Hate You Give, which is a book about anti-blackness. And she had said, she said that previously she really loved that term, but she had an experience where one during this planning session, and one by of her, that term, you mean POC. POC? Yes. Thank you. One of her white colleagues said, OK, great. We can teach this novel now because we have our POC. Oh, you like know, they got there. Even right. though this there's this novel is so she was about basically black. People black people yeah, she's not, like, oh, she counts. She counts. <laughs> right, right. So she was now like being tokenized as a person of color when she is not black and she cannot speak to black experience. And that is like what some people are seeing is is is, is limited is, is why the, the term POC can be limiting and it's effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, and I, I, I think it's super important. I very much agree with centering the communities of color that are most oppressed, most erased. And 100 percent, we are not all oppressed in, in the same way. And I do think that our proximity to whiteness has so much to do with that. You know, I also do want to know, I and you know, like I respect that there are some people that don't want to use that term that don't even want to use You know, POC, they don't want to use BIPOC or POC because they feel like they want to, they always want to identify as Black or Indigenous or Mexicana or whatever it may be. And I totally get that. And I think that you know, I, what I, the reason I, I see it as potentially powerful and so in some context is because sometimes it's, it does help us be better activists. Like it gives us, we can all unite against, you know, the bigger uh, oppressor. And so I think it, be, be, it can be helpful in that way. And sometimes it helps us better empathize with the struggles of different communities of color to use to use terms like POC or BIPOC, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. To specifically uh, call
1: that out, I see. Mm-hmm. Yes, Um One thing I want to kind of, focus on is, is the I in BIPOC, right? Okay. The, the, in, the indigenous part. And, and I want to note that, you know, as both of us, we're, we're both Mexican. We both, I believe have mixed European and indigenous ancestry, and I think most Mexicans, and I'm speaking, you know, with my experience and what I believe, but um, I've grown up not knowing very much about my indigenous ancestry. I know that I have it, but I felt like in a way I was taught to sort of erase that part of me. My whole life I grew up, you know, have elevating my European ancestry. Right. Like that's what we're I saw. are all super
0: Catholic, for example. That's what <laughs> I right.
1: yeah. And that's, we're all a Catholic. That's what I saw on TV when I saw just white Mexicans on Televisa and Univision um, that's what I was like told and so and I remember growing up with my classmates and just you know we would like sort of celebrate oh yeah like my f- this family member who is white passing or has you know light colored eyes and even nobody it, would say wet white passing though right they would say no 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 oh she's yeah. French or you would say no que mi familia like <laughs> oh yeah mi, mi mi hermano or whatever is huerita or like tenemos ojos azules when and when it was when a baby born
0: they're like oh mira well, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, so burrito. cute if he's white right? <laughs> right and so
1: we grew up thinking that like the white whiteness in us or like our white ancestry was to be celebrated and the rest was was erased so for me I really like elevating the indigenous the I the and, and BIPOC because I feel like as Mexicans we grew up erasing that and suppressing it and you know looking down on it and I even remember growing up like I you know we were tall my family's tall and like, yeah, yes. and that- <laughs> if anybody sees any pictures of us together, you yes. could tell she's like three yeah. heads I'm, I'm, tall. I'm, t- I'm pretty tall, <laughs> f- you know, for Mexican, especially. But I grew up like sort of como like you know, boasting that my family boasting that because. And I realized that the reason I was boasting it is because it felt like a part of like this European ancestry. Like the tallness in our in our family comes from that European heritage. And just reflecting on like how shitty <laughs> that is. That like this was something that I internalized. And I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: standards of beauty. You don't have any short models. Models are super tall and they have European phenotypes. It's, it's global. It's a global perception of standards of beauty are tall, blonde, barbie you know right and so
1: like you know my lived experience like i can never i can't i I feel like it doesn't i don't feel right calling myself indigenous because that's not how i've lived my whole life in the same way that i would never call myself white because like i don't look white like i don't feel white like that's never been my lived experience but it's like but how can i honor I've been thinking about how I can honor that indigenous ancestry more. And one of the ways I feel like is by honoring just indigenous people more, by elevating them more, by centering them more. Um, and there's a bunch of other things that I've been thinking about, like, you know, and like in how I eat, like decolonizing, like just the way that I eat, like our indigenous ancestors, like they weren't really eating a lot of the things that, that we eat now. So I've been thinking about that just really in like the way that I connect with the earth more thinking about like, and I'd love to just kind of keep exploring that
0: more yeah and those yeah. are great reflections. No, I think yeah. that's fantastic.
1: What are some you know like on some some reflections and thoughts? That you have, Brenda?
0: Yeah, well, as as we were researching for this conversation, I listened to a conversation between the writer Juli Sarce um, when she had this conversation with UCLA professor Laura Gomez. And this uh, Laura Gomez, she is the author of Manifest Destinies, The Making of the Mexican American Race, which I absolutely have to read now. So Dr. Gomez, she talks about mestizaje, which is, um, which she says comes from this post-revolutionary Mexico, where we were trying to build this national identity. And um, it might've had these nice altruistic goals of like, we're this mestizaje people, these, you know, we should celebrate this, but it actually ended up having the effect of pressing down against Afro-Mexicano and indigenous people. Something that, of course, spread across Latin America, this thinking. And so she believes that while we're making some progress in increasing visibility of black and indigenous Latinx people, we really have, we Latinos, (laughs) we have not yet fully confronted our anti-black and anti-indigenous racism in our own communities. And I bring this up because it's important to understand this context as the backdrop to conversations on race, race. When we talk about race as Latinos, when it comes to his experience as Latinos and more specifically as Mexicans in the U.S., something else that Gomez says is that 70 percent of Latinos in the U.S. are Mexican-Americans or of Mexican descent. So while we know that there's a diverse type of Latinos in the U.S., most of us are mexicans and so i i think that context of mestizaje is an important context especially for you and i who truly are mexicans to have that conversation yeah it's you know it's
1: it's interesting because i think for a lot of for most for i don't know about you but i didn't really grow up thinking about like my mestizaje like i just thought of myself as as mexican so it's really interesting to to read about this and see these you know these reflections about like how even mestizaje was sort of erasing true indigenous and and afro um, identity because it wasn't the majority identity so the majority identity ended up being what was like what would you call it just like mix
0: like like celebrating the mixedness but in doing so right maybe not intentionally or perhaps probably very intentionally erasing the indigenous yeah. and the, and the, and the um, black Hanson street. Yeah. But um, what I, what this is bringing up for me is go, when I would go to Mexico Whenever yeah. I go to Mexico and I visit the, the, the way that I experience walking around in, in Mexico and for people that, don't know what I look like. I am a light-skinned Mexican woman. I'm short. <laughs> um, uh, I have blue eyes. And I, and not only that, but so I navigate this world. I know that I navigate the world very differently than someone that presents very indigenous. So I acknowledge that. I mean, I acknowledge my, my privilege and my proximity to whiteness by default, by the way I look. But not only that, but I also kind of, whenever I'm in Mexico, I always experience or I feel this duality of like, there's Mexicans and there's indigenous people and there's a separation mm. that's the that, at least that's the way that mm. the framing that I see in in, in Mexico and it probably yeah. it's part of what you are describing of the images that we see we see the right. telenovelas the televisa the every single commercial every single the stock photos are all yeah. white, white Mexicans, yeah. European phenotype Latinos. Mm-hmm. So that's all kind of reinforces this this separation that we see. But luckily, as and as Gomez says, I think that we are making some progress. And I think even Mexico is having these confrontations with their own racism and having these conversations. So I, I think that's good. I think that's all a positive sign that we're, we're confronting it. And I, and to kind of bring this back to what we started with, with BIPOC yeah. is yes. I 100% agree with everything you said that, that it's important to specifically call out black and indigenous for that reason, because it's been erased previously. So to literally boldly say black and indigenous person of color, right. It's very important because, it, uh, it, it it tries to avoid the the erasure of yeah. black and indigenous people when you only have people of color (laughs) right and
1: i think that's like actually been one of the um what some of the issues people have had was the term latinx as like it feeling like it it is not centering enough of indigenous and 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 afro-latinx yeah it's very complicated
0: i do want to quote this uh, person this latina that was quoted on code switch so she says i'm latinx puerto rican in in Colombian, and i like the term poc and by poc or bipoc Uh, and i don't know how what she calls them but I, I like to say by POC, I heard it's BIPOC, who knows how you say it, both ways. And she says here, um, to mean, she likes it because it means solidarity among our collective experiences as non-whites, especially our experience as non-whites in the U.S., United States there's obviously a lot of variation within those experiences I just wish these terms were used more often to mean the this coalition and not as a euphemism like the way di- diverse is mm-hmm. often used especially by people mostly white people who don't want to say black mm-hmm. so we know even and this is referenced in the episode 2 on code switch that even by POC is becoming to be is, is it's on its way to become a eu- euphemism it's on its mm-hmm. way to get diluted because right. language is complex and what you and I want Want to encourage people to listen to this uh, episode of Code Switch that we keep referencing, which we'll put in our show notes because they do start out talking with a Mm -hmm. (laughs) linguistics. How do you call those people that are professionals in linguistics? I forget what you call them. But the point is that it's language is is always always evolving, right? Mm -hmm. That's why Latinx is all complicated. Anywho, but the most important point there is again that she she really this this is important context to talk about this as non whites in the United States. Right. And something that I think is interesting, um, I do like it because I like I like grouping us as non-whites. And that's truly what we mean when we say by POC, we mean boldly black and indigenous. Yes. But we also just mean non-white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also mean non-white. And I and I, and I like that. But, the, but I've also been uneasy in situations where I'll give you an example. Um, there's a theater company that we like a lot that it was it used to have an event where it was only women of color that would be able to speak. At this event, there are yeah. the people but it it also feels uncomfortable. I mean, I understand the need to have these these protective spaces for women of color to speak and tell their stories because the default is white women typically right. but when you kind of go a little further, I mean it's it's also alienating like you non-white people can't speak here mm-hmm. and, and and so all these things are just very very complicated. And we're not going to solve racism on this on this episode. We're just we're just here to have a conversation on some of our thoughts. But I do want to again because we wanted to kind of talk about this in, in in terms of our experience as Latinx people in the U.S. And we just had an election. By the time you're listen to, listening to this, yeah. we just had an election, and there's been a lot of conversation. There's always a lot of conversations about the Latinx vote, yeah, and and it's always complicated because we are not a monolith, right? We are so diverse. There's black people, there's white people, there's indigenous people, there's different nationalities, mm-hmm. there's different um, levels of English proficiency, whether you're an immigrant or not, yeah, generation. It's, it's so complex, right? We are not a monolith, and here's a perfect example. So this is from a quote from Gerardo Cardava, who's a professor at Northwestern University. So he says, quote, California has the largest number of eligible Latino voters, 8 million. Recent polls have shown that Donald Trump is earning somewhere between 25% to 30% of their support. That means that if all of those 8 million eligible voters vote, more than 2 million voters in California, this is the state of Prop 187, the state where the Republican Party is dead, there will be more than 2 million Latinos who vote for Donald Trump. Mm. Compare that to Florida, which we all in our notion of our head is like conservatives, Florida, Mm -hmm. Cubans, Florida, which has 3.1 million Latino eligible voters voters in 2016, 35% of Latinos in Florida voted for Trump. That's around 1 million. And if this holds true for 2020, there will be more Latinos who voted for Donald Trump in California than in the state of Florida. So let me repeat that again. It could be the case that more Latinos will vote for Trump in California than in Florida. So this just kind of speaks to we the the diversity within our group. Like there is so much. We are not a monolith. And part of this complexity, I think, is represented in in how we view words ver- ver- mm-hmm. by POC. Right. There's a lot of Latinos that want to celebrate their proximity to whiteness right. w- they
1: will continue to do so that that is like the goal those are goals for them whether they acknowledge it or not
0: yeah like, <laughs> and some of them are white like I mean, they physically mean. look white right. <laughs> and and it, it's all very fascinating something else that that, that i've observed is like are we going to become italians <laughs> like and let me break tell that me down. about that what do you mean so by that? there was a time and you, you know, a lot of this is reflected in Hollywood. Like, say for example, Karate Kid. Right? Karate Kid has this Italian American kid who looks doesn't look like his white peers. Right? He's a brown person. He's Italian, but he's tan. He's got brown hair, and uh, you know he's Catholic. And the Italians at some point were very much othered, but mm-hmm. now people think of Italians as white. Mm-hmm. So are Latinos on our way? Like after several generations right. of becoming? Italian-Americans, a.k.a. white. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are all things that just, like, I don't have the answer, but they're thoughts that that always percolate for me as I reflect on discussions on race. Yeah. Isn't that interesting?
1: <laughs> yeah, so interesting. I don't even know what, what to... What to say there? What else to, to, to add there?
0: <laughs> all, all to say is that um, as we started off earlier, these conversations are never easy. But you know what I want to reference? Um, yeah. And we have a couple of minutes of now. But the, the part of the other reason why we wanted to have this, this podcast is... Um, Recently, we, um, the, the Hispanic, Congressional Hispanic Caucus is been, has been, which is great, right? This is all part of the solution here, has been adamant and vocal about Latin, Latinx representation in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a problem. We, we reference it here on this podcast many times because when we are not seen on television and the way we're seen, because again, it kind of goes back to the, whatever's happening in Televisa is also happening in Hollywood. If we only show white passing white-looking Latinos, or if we only show Latinos um, in a certain way, or not at all, that all informs our context, right? The American context of what they think of Latinos. And when we're not seeing, it makes it easier for people like Trump to pass policies or to have a whole freaking four years, potentially eight years, all by vilifying Latinos. Like, mm-hmm. It's all interconnected. We know that's very right. important. Anyways, back to our uh, what happened with us Santa Tamarindo. We posted a tweet of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus calling for a hearing all about this issue about bringing more Latinx representation in Hollywood, which we think is an important issue for the reasons that I just said. Um One person commented that basically said, hey, we should celebrate that black people are getting represented. Like you're out of line for, for wanting more Latinos to be represented. We need more black people to be represented. That was kind of her point. I decided not to argue because like, I think she was not seeing qu- truly what we were intending by, by posting this post. But some people did chime in like, no, you can be both. You can both want to celebrate black representation in media and also acknowledge that we need to have more Latinx representation in media. You can including do both. black Latinx including, representation. By the way, yes, by the way. Black people can be Latinx, too. Yes, that's another point. That is one point that I did uh, respond with. But I think, too, there was this kind of, in, in the thread, there was this discussion about what kind of Latinos, too. Mm-hmm. And I think, so, I think someone said, like, I think she called America Ferrera as an example of, of white Latinx. Mm-hmm. And that's just not accurate. Like, you look at America Ferrera, who is of, I believe she's Guatemalan or Honduran. She's from, her family's from Honduras. She does not look like Kate El Castillo. Kate El Castillo is a white Mexican, like a white Latino. Mm -hmm. America Ferrera is not. Um, And so I wanted to correct this person and saying, I don't know if I would ever say America Ferrera is an example of white Latinx. To me, she presents indigenous. And you had a difference of opinion because you're like, well, not totally. And that is a perfect example of why this is so complex because there's, Colonization. We have different degrees of, mm-hmm. of what we look like. Marcela Arguello, who I absolutely fucking love. She's. 6'11", or whatever, however tall she is. Taller than me, so that yes. tells you I'm and tall, she, y'all. Yes, she's Salvadorian. <laughs> yeah, she's right. And she's got a fabulous joke. You all should listen to her comedy special, which you can get anywhere. And it's hilarious, but she talks about, like, I'm a product of, of colonization. Yeah, like, man. you don't know what I am. I'm freaking uh, super tall. You don't think that I'm Latina, but we look in various different ways. And it's all because of this history of, of oppression and colonization that, that some of us are so colonized that we're happy to be super Catholic, even though that was colonized, that right. was instilled in us through colonization. <laughs> right, right, right. It's all very fascinating. So what's, what's our, what's our takeaway? Here? Our takeaway is that <laughs> our takeaway is whenever we can, I think it's good to acknowledge our privilege. Our yes. Takeaway there is go. That, I love that takeaway. Yeah. Our, our takeaway is we can navigate this world and, and acknowledge, acknowledge our privilege. We can yes. try whenever we can to center those that have been oppressed as much as we can. So, as we mentioned earlier, we're part of Loose Collective, and yes. at Loose Collective, we're very intentional of trying to find by POC writers. Like yeah. we, want, we don't want just white Latinas to be telling their stories. I got to say one more thing, and sorry that I'm ranting, but that's just what happens. I also have, and I'm not going to go into it here because we probably need a whole other episode about this, but I also think I'm not white. Like, even though I, I, I have proximity to whiteness and I acknowledge my privilege as a confusing looking Latino where you don't know what kind of race is to be with me. I think it's inaccurate to say that we're all that, that because you look white, you are white Mm -hmm. as a Latin, as a Latinx person. Because for example, Mm -hmm. my mom, has blonde hair and green eyes and that comes with a lot of privilege but she has an accent and she had to learn english and there's still a difference right 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 right.
1: like there's a her her experience even though she's you know whatever color white passing is very it's still been mostly very mexican in a lot of ways compared to white mexicans meaning like they may be they've lived here for generations right there's there's a difference there too and you're right like we could totally go in on that as well
0: yeah there's a lot of room for nuance and the other thing here's one more thing. I'm an advocate for bringing back WASP. Why don't we call people WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? Let's be specific. I, 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 I also have a problem with just white as a broad term because again like I talked you know something else that was mentioned in the podcast a lot in Code Switch is that maybe we should just call people what they are let's just get specific and not group people
1: yeah but then the the, the reason like why we you know bringing back to like the point I made why I think these terms are important is because there are times and contexts in which our collective power is really important and yeah. like in amplifying our impact against like a, a larger oppressive forces
0: yeah right. I want to lean into something you said there's a time and a place like it's all right, about the context right right right,
1: right. Um, one other take way that I want to add for this conversation is like checking our own and we've mentioned this before checking our own internalized racism colorism bias and just because we are you know Latinos or people of color I BIPOC that does not mean that we have not internalized all of these things and we're not operating from these places from time to time like we constantly have to check ourselves
0: yeah that's why there's two million potentially two million Latinos voting for Trump in California Right. Because of because they don't realize that right. Trump doesn't give a shit that right. about your your support if right. you look a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very complicated. So now what? We just want to leave you with some resources. Yeah. So, so what you got? You got something? Yeah, there's a, we're we're going to obviously reference the code switch episode in our show notes, but yes. but specifically for homework, I'm going to have you all and I'll put this link also in our show notes. But the conversation with Jul- Julisa Arce and um Professor Gomez which you can we're going to put the link there but you can watch the 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 um the whole conversation. It's very fascinating. Okay, another resource that I want to recommend for folks is The Warmth of Other Suns, The Epic Story of America's Great Migration. So this is a, I think it's a must-read book. It's by um, Isabel Wilkerson. And I think it's just, what what I like about it is that I think it's just very informative about the Black experience in, in the U.S. It's a history book, but the way she tells the story is also through three fictional characters, which is helpful for those of us that like fiction. Mm-hmm. So it's it's histo- historical context but then great storytelling and it's about the migration of, of 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 black people from the south moving up to the north and to the west. And the why I recommend it is because there's also a lot of parallels to our experience as immigrants from Latin America because The way that the already established black people in the North treated these Southerners is very much the way that these Trump supporters are treating immigrants, newly arrived immigrants from Mexico. So there's a lot of parallels to that. So I want to recommend those two things. Well, there you go. Yeah, we're leaving you with some homework. Yes.
1: And you know what? I think we'll we'll probably come back to, you know, some of these some of these issues that we talked on today and, and in future episodes yes I think for this sure. is a forever
0: topic like yes. this is what somebody knows about it's about our yes. identity and navigating it and like I, we mentioned earlier this is an opinion podcast you're yeah. getting brenda and Sheila's opinion you know?
1: <laughs> and, and you know and our opinions are evolving as, we, as well as we continue learning
0: Woo. all right so we're back that was a Let's do another breathe in, breathe out, heavy conversation. Stretching over here. Stretching over here. Yes. Yeah. So, like we always like to do, we want to leave you with a matraca and a basura. You got our calma at the front end of this episode. Yes. So, Anna uh, Sheila, you got a matraca?
1: Yeah, matraca. I just want to give a matraca to everybody that's been fighting. Oh, here we go. Voter suppression throughout this election. Specifically, I want to, I want to call out, and I know when we have this episode, it'll, you know, the election will be over, but I just want to honor those people that have been doing the work. Specifically, I just want to give a quick matraca to Chris Hollins. He's a county clerk and chief elections officer of Harris County in Texas. He just came up with a lot of really creative ways to just you know, get the vote. He introduced drive through voting and, you know, just considering everything with COVID-19. Um, and he actually broke, uh, set a new all time turnout record, um, because he had a 24 hour drive through like voting session. So just really, you know, beautiful to see, to see the work that people are doing out there.
0: Yeah, why not celebrate people wanting to vote? Right, exactly. It's like we. Why we, wouldn't you want people to don't do we, the like basic I think, thing?
1: Right, like I think vote. that like <laughs> doing the work to make it as easy as possible for everybody to get to to vote, like. Like why? I don't see anything wrong with that. And, and of course, there have been Republicans trying to uh, invalidate those votes.
0: Of course. So Matraca, I double down on that Matraca. Matraca to anybody that wants to help people vote. Yes. All right. So what else you got? You got a basura for us? Yeah, I want to put in la basura. Speaking of Latinos for Trump is uh, chingo bling. Look him up. He's uh, someone that has profited by his profited from his identity and doing fun uh, Chicano rap. And he's funny and a comedian. But all of a sudden, he's now a Trump sympathizer. And so anybody who profits from this Mexican-American identity and then turns around and sells out his community goes in la basura. All right. (laughs) What about you?
1: Um, All right. Well, I've got two, but I'll start with one and we have time. We'll do the other one. I want to put like talking about people's age so much in La Basura. Oh. Like constantly, like in articles, like people always know, like such and such, comma, age, comma, or like people always asking like how old you are. And I just feel like there's no, whenever you share your age, like there's always some kind of a like some judgment attached to that age, whether it's whether it's positive or there is negative, there's always some kind of judgment, whether it's like about your physical appearance, like, oh, this person looks really great for this age. Oh, this person looks kind of older. Like, oh, like I expect, because we have, we just, we can't help it, but we have pictures of what, people are supposed to look like, what they're supposed to do at a certain age. And I just feel like it would just be so great if we could let go of that because we we all have so much shame. I think there's so many people that have so much shame around their age and where they think they should be at this age or what they should be doing, et cetera. And if we could somehow, it's, I know it's incredibly difficult, like let go of talking about it so much. Like I think people would just be able to live their lives a little bit better, like doing what they want to do, when they want to do it rather than thinking oh like by this stage i need to do this x y and z or i should look like this or etc you know so that's that's what i want to put in the basura
0: yeah that's a good one definitely uh, do whatever you want whenever you want quieras. so you know
1: like i would love to see more of that um, and the other thing I put in the surah, just the hip- hypocrisy. And if y'all haven't noticed, this is, a, not a Republican friendly podcast. Yes, this isn't for you. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Like, the, hip- <laughs> the hypocrisy, um, from Republicans and, you know, thinking about like one thing is like the Supreme Court nomination. Like, um, I think in 2016, you know, Obama had a nom- nomination and the Republicans just let it sit because they said that like they, you know, they should not vote on a nominee in an election year. And correct me if the situations are different at all. I'm not sure. But from what I've seen, it was exact. It's very similar. Like it was earlier so much closer to the election. Like he actually, I think it was in in March or April or something (laughs) like this. Not in, you know, October or whatever, whenever the
0: election, the Republicans. Right. And
1: so it's like they literally like presented. They they basically said it wasn't right to, you know, have to push for a nominee in an election year. So that another thing that really pisses me off or like religious conservatives that somehow say that like the Republican party is the, um, the party of, of God. Because I, I, I feel like if you really think about Jesus's teachings, they were about serving the poor, welcoming the immigrant, but like they've basically chosen to pick on two things, you know, that, that have to do with somebody else's life. Right. Like, like we're talking, I'm talking about LGBT rights and I'm talking about like the right to choose what to do with your body like those are the two things you're choosing to do that have to do that don't have to do with you. They have to do with other people, but like in terms of you're choosing to be those are the things that like de- determine that this is like, you know, the party of God. And then to, to follow someone like Trump, which to me is like, is the least, the hypocrisy the least, is spiritual, the least <laughs> spiritual man, like fully like egotistical, narcissistic, like,
0: yeah, it's like, such a mess. It's a, they are, they are such a mess. And also what's another reason why there's Latinos for Trump? Cause they're single issue voters and it's abortion
1: and it's and it and, and, and it's like that shit is just like it's just a mask you're using religion to mask your homophobia and, and you know what another and other things so yeah. anyways.
0: basura 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 we're into it all right y'all I hope that you enjoyed this episode um, oh, it, wait 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 I want to give another kalma
1: real quick Oh, okay. you we know because to it let's end the episode fine let's so um, Halloween just passed and I just want to like my karma is just seeing people like that still even though it's Halloween was obviously very different for people still dressed up and like did their thing brenda you did your thing on on the gram i didn't dress up this year so it was really nice for me to see how other people dressed up and still honor this holiday which i think is like a, a great holiday for so many it reasons it sure
0: is i love halloween so it's so next year safely. for sure i'm
1: gonna do it next year so i'm gonna i'm gonna ha- come out with a kick-ass costume next year but thank you for everybody that dressed up and brought joy to me and so many others by with your costumes
0: gotta end it on a positive note yes bueno everyone hasta luego ponte un suéter calmate o te calmo
1: The Podcast is independently produced by Ana Sheila Victorino and Brenda Gonzalez. Jeff DeVoe provides original music and sound engineering, and Michelle Andrade provides editing and production support.
0: Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and at Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. And if you like the show, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com.
1: 18 plus.